Welcome to the Race MotoGP podcast. Toby Moody and Simon Patterson here from the-race.com. Not far to go before the start of MotoGP for 2020, the season proper. Now, Qatar took place in March for Moto3 and Moto2, but MotoGP has not raced since Valencia 2019. It'll therefore be eight full months until Jerez, which will take place on the 19th of July 2020, since any MotoGP rider has been actively racing in a Grand Prix. And then it's going to be very thick and fast. 13 Grand Prix over 18 weekends, the first five of which are in the first six weekends. And getting straight into it, Simon, news reaching us about Andrea Dovizioso, the MotoGP Championship runner-up for the last three seasons, has just fractured his collarbone in a motocross accident. That's big news. You couldn't write the script for it, could you? We've had eight months of doing very little, and three weeks before the start of the championship proper, Dovi goes and breaks his collarbone, doing something that arguably he really shouldn't have been doing, even if he did have permission from his bosses at Ducati to do it. He was racing in a round of the Emilia-Romagna Regional Motocross Championship. He says it's the only way that he could get back into feeling fully race fit ahead of the start of the season, the only way to get the brain firing the correct way and getting the juices flowing. Um, he went over a jump awkwardly, he landed badly, the rear wheel slid, the rear wheel caught, it high-sided him off the bike and straight onto the left shoulder. Snapped the bone, off to hospital, plate installed in it, sort of six hours later, and now he's in a fight to recovery. Climby O'Reilly, you know, when you look at it in the, 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 the cold light of day, you know, he's the second most successful MotoGP racer over the last three seasons. He's only second to Mark Marquez. Oh, you know, you don't mind losing out to him, do you? But of course, you won a title. He's won a one, two, five title, as we know. But, oh, I read it and I just thought you couldn't make it up. I, I thought of Claudio Domenicali going mental i thought of the team going mental i thought of his manager with his head in his hands because he's trying to do a new deal they'd be almost more angry than andrea himself i would be very surprised if they're not more angry than andrea himself yeah that's the thing you almost have to break it down into there's there's two big components to this one is that the only way you beat mark marquez these days seemingly is to be luckier than him and to be fitter than him, and to be more focused than him, and to be there essentially the way Lorenzo was in 2015 to pick up the pieces if things go wrong for him. Dovi has put himself massively on the back foot in terms of doing that. I think combined with the new calendar and what circuits we're going to, it's very hard to look at the start of the season and even think that he's the most likely to finish second to Marquez this year now on this. Then, on top of all that, He's in, you know, the Ducati uh, boss Gigi Delinia used the word stalemate this week to describe their contract negotiations. That's not a good sign. Dovi wants more money. Ducati wants to pay less money. And then he goes and does something stupid like this that just gives them something else to throw back at him. So there's always two sides to an argument. You've said it yourself. You want to get in the vibe. You want to get in the groove. You're going to go riding a bike. You could do a, a track day, you could do a mini moto, you can do a motocross. 
If you don't, then you save yourself from injury, but arguably you could not be on the front foot by the time the pit lane goes green in Hareth. What's... If I, if I ask you what's your take on what they should do, you're going to ask me, and I better not answer. But <laughs> it, it's devil you do and devil you don't, and there's no perfect answer, is there? Is there, there? is and there isn't. <laughs> well, my take on it... My take on it would be that we've seen the guys, you know, we know that every MotoGP rider has spent countless hours over the last three months riding bikes again. Since they've been allowed out of lockdown in various countries, we've seen track days and mini bikes and flat track and motocross and enduro and trials. They've all been riding a lot of it, but none of them have been competing. And to me, that's the bit that adds the extra element to what Dovi did. He wasn't doing it to be race fit. He wasn't doing it to feel good on a bike. There was a competition element to it, and that does change things. You know as well as I do how insanely competitive motorbike racers are, be it the final race of the MotoGP World Championship with a title on the line, or a game of Monopoly in the motorhome on a Thursday evening. Everything's a competition. Airport trolley race. Exactly. We've all seen it. So that adding that competitive element to it, that's the bit that surprises me about what Dovi does. We know that they can race in controlled environments. We know that Rossi, for example, does the Americana endurance races at the ranch and they're all a bit of fun, but they're never super, super serious because, you know, everyone there is in the same position where they're riding, they're racing, but they know it's training. But Dovi was out against a bunch of guys who are fighting for a championship who don't really care about what he's up to. Yeah, but... But then again, the worst accident that Randy Mamola had was on a scooter. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, 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 back in 99, uh, he, it's, it's, it's a fine line. I mean, you're right about Rossi and the ranch, and yeah, it's only a bit of fun, but come on, we've all been there having <laughs> a bit of fun with the helmet on, and oh, you have a bit of a thing. And, and, uh, and I don't think Andrea would have risked it all for some regional motocross lap rather than the last corner at Mugello and can he win his home Grand Prix I know what you're saying you know what I'm saying um, you only need to I've always said this there's no skill in falling off once you <laughs> fall off you're in the hands of the gods yes. you know see see some terrible accidents that we've had so unless you're Mark Marquez maybe who seems very good at falling off and not getting hurt yeah <laughs> but so, Every time you crash, you write a check. Sooner or later, yes. there's no money left in the bank. Yes, so very true. It's it very is true. a fine line. It is a fine line. You so you, you know you you run out of luck. But uh, but mm. having said that, you know Jorge Lorenzo, he crashed at Assen first day. Flew back to Spain, had the operation, did the race, finished well in the race. It's not the strength of the bone that's the problem. It's the operation to get in there and go through the muscles. Colin, he broke his collarbone at Barcelona one year uh, on a Friday, had the operation, (laughs) and he was back at the track. He was doing (laughs) press-ups. I mean, world gone mad. He was doing press-ups, and he was, I'm fine, man, I'm fine. And the only reason that they wouldn't let him qualify was that it was within 24 hours of having a general anaesthetic. See, for me, the... The warning that comes from Lorenzo's story isn't what he managed to do in Assen, that incredible coming back and, and finishing fifth 48 hours afterwards. It's what happened then four days later in Saxon Ring, 
when he went, had another big high side, bent the plate in his shoulder, sat out that round and spent weeks recovering for it because that's where the calendar is going to work against Dovi. You're absolutely right, but there's an even finer detail to why Lorenzo crashed in that the session was stopped and there was a short finish to it. So he was going out quickly or there was water involved or tires or something. I was there. I remember it was a morning session and he and he was he was risking something on a free practice session and risk and free practice shouldn't be in the same <laughs> sentence. Uh, there was a little bit of overconfidence which is why we love Jorge because he is when he's on when he's on form he's on top of the world and he was having yes. one one a moment such as that and of course he looped it at the top of the hill and that was that um, but there was a finite detail to that but yeah arguably he he should be okay but you've got to be one hundred percent ready to ride these things as I say you're sitting on a two hundred and eighty horsepower engine that's trying to do 225 mile an hour and it's trying to kill you at every single corner. <laughs> you know, it's doing, yeah. doing 300 revs a second. <laughs> it's not right, when is it? When you put it like that, it's not right. It's not it? right, is it? You know, yeah. you're sat on an engine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you're cushioned by a giant tank of explosive liquid, don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, that's sat underneath you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, here he is, Andrea Davizioso. He's in his eighth season with Ducati. We forget how long he's been there. He's actually now been longer with Ducati than Valentino's first stint at Yamaha. Will he remain at Ducati next year? What day is it, I suppose, Simon? My gut feeling is that he will, but he won't be happy about it. He's going to end up staying there because there's no other option available for him, but it's not going to be in terms that he wants to be there on. Whether or not those terms will be enough to make him think, oh, screw it, retirement beckons. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's certainly not going to be, you wouldn't expect that it'll be fantastic motivation going into two years knowing that it's not what he really wanted. Well, that'll be an Italian mess. If they don't take him... Who could they take? Well, G- at least next year. Ducati have a kind of a weird surplus of talent at the minute. Actually, uh, we know they've got Jack Miller signed and officially confirmed as as the number the well the other rider in the factory team next year. But they've got, in theory, well, we we're fairly sure that they've got Jorge Martin, former Moto Three champion and someone that I've had my eye on for a few years as as a real talent. Uh, we're fairly sure that he's going to Primark Racing next year on a probably in a factory spec bike as a bit of a youth talent. But there's also Peko Bagnaya and Johan Zarco floating around in the background. Um, Peko fit, ticks all the boxes in terms of being Italian, PR savvy, fast rider, young guy. Zarco has told everyone who listened to him that he wants to be a factory Ducati rider after uh, the debacle of his KTM. Uh, half season both those guys aren't signed to anything yet and you know even if even if there's no intention in Bologna of putting them on the factory bike for next year just having the threat of the two of them floating around in the background and Jorge Lorenzo whose name has also cropped up a few times linked to that bike it's all putting pressure on Dovi that you know he doesn't need wow what a scenario you can't believe it I mean the last 
the last week in MotoGP movement and shaking and politics, if I can call it that, has just been quite something. Because also Danilo Petrucci, he has now been confirmed as riding for KTM in Tech 3. It's still a works bike. You know, the, 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 the KTM squad is four, not two, arguably so. And one thing that, that hasn't been mentioned in the fallout of Petrucci is, in all due respect to to Hervé's lot, Austria will put in the right people, and they do already, into Tech 3 to keep an eye on what's going on, and they just report back. Uh, they, 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 they've got technical people, they've got engine strategy people uh, that are Austrian paid, not French paid, if you follow. Um, and they will see exactly, as I always say, they will see the data and overlay it and compare it. So that'll be interesting to see how Danilo Petrucci gets on. Top bloke, personally, I think he's great. I think he's hilarious. I think his dry sense of humour is just wonderful. Him and Hervé working together will be hilarious. <laughs> it will be. It will be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and hopefully he will continue, apparently, to buy even more KTMs because apparently he's bought 11 I have heard that. <laughs> Already well, you'd from like the factory. To think, you'd like to think he might not need to buy the, just quite as many in the future. There exactly. might be a few shipping crates sent over the border. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, that, so that'll be interesting to see. Still yeah. a question mark over where Paul Espargaro is going to go. Uh, it apparently says in his KTM contract that he can't say anything about the next year until September the 15th, whether or not that's all going to be shunted out with the dishwater. I sense it might be easier to just kind of say it. But on the flip side, we haven't started this season yet. Well, that's it. That's it. I have I have seen uh, an excerpt from a KTM writer contract that says you're not allowed to reveal where you're going until the 15th of December at risk of losing 10% of your annual salary. December. Oh, uh, sorry, September. 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 Okay. okay. That's yeah, why yeah. there's no announcement yet. But yeah, like you say, I think now that KTM have got all their ducks in a row for next year. What they'll do is they'll let the noise settle from from that. Make sure they've got the full PR value, and then we'll see the you know maybe next week or the week after we'll see the usual. They'll issue a statement saying Paul Espargaro will no longer be a part of the blah blah blah, and then fifteen minutes later there'll be a Repsol Honda statement saying we welcome Paul joining the team. One thing we've omitted to confirm is that Miguel Oliveira is going to be Works KTM, the top team in 2021, going up from Tech 3. So he will be reunited with Brad Binder, whom he was with in, in, in IO in, in 2017-2018. So, yeah, top bloke. I, I can't speak highly en enough about him when he was in Red Bull Rookies, came through uh, Moto3. Uh, such a nice bloke to deal with when I worked at KTM. Such... A, 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 a normal bloke. You know what I mean. Down to work. Yeah, would yes. reply. Got the PR side of things. Got the marketing <laughs> side of things. And I'm very happy for him. I'm very happy for him. I, yeah, I think he, I think he's just fantastic. He, and just to pick up on something you said there about him being an ex-Red Bull rookie, worth noting that KTM have now perfected the system. They've taken two Red Bull rookies. They've put them to Moto3. They've won a championship with them there. They've put them both to Moto2, and now they're both factory MotoGP riders. It's the dream. You know, that is... And, and it all goes back, you know, the, I've been told repeatedly by people within KTM the reason for the Moto2 project is because they lost Mark Marquez. Correct. 
Correct. I, I, I've said he it, had nowhere to go. I've said it for years. Uh, Mercedes paid for Michael Schumacher to come up through the, the junior ranks. And then when he got to Formula One, they didn't put him in a Mercedes powered car. Yes. And when he did get in a Mercedes powered <laughs> car, it sort of had his day in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got to keep that thread. So that's when the Red yeah. Bull Junior driving uh, sequence and series comes through and four wheels. Yes. Um, and as you said, with, with KTM, with, uh, with, with, with their projects. So, yeah, interesting, interesting. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see these rookies in the big class have, have their yeah. first race, you know, like Binder. So mm, it'd be interesting to see. In Brilliant, to see. Where are we at with, with Aprilia? Uh, news coming your way today, I think it was. On Yeah, the... so some, some final confirmation of what we already knew, really. Uh, Bradley Smith is now confirmed as being an Aprilia rider for the first two races, the first two being at Jerez, um, pending Andrea Iannone's suspension hearing, um, which I, from what I can gather, will be sometime in late July, early August. His is Olin's or is um... <laughs> unfortunately not for him. Yeah, his uh, his final hearing at the Court of Arbitration for Sport, which um has actually changed a little bit since the last time we talked about Andrea and his uh, difficulties because now uh, the World Anti-Doping Association, of course, have launched a counter-appeal to his. And what we could see is him walking away scot-free, absolved of all blame and ready to go racing in Brno. Or we could see him banned for four years and effectively career over. So there's not much grey in the middle, is there? <laughs> if I were him, I'd be taking the 18 months handed down by uh, the FIM's own court and be happy with it at this point, I think. I haven't spoken to anyone who has made any noises thinking that, you know, it's going to be overturned. Um, and that includes, you know, that's up to and including his sort of erstwhile teammate, Alicia Espagaro, who, of course, is a huge cycling fan and very up to speed in doping matters. He is fairly sure that Bradley's going to be his teammate for the rest of the year. And the door is going to be wide open then for next year and what may be. Okay, moving on to the calendar. I touched on it briefly at the top of this podcast. 13 Grand Prix plans for this 2020 season. There are still some Grand Prix that are penciled in, but I think we all know that Thailand, Sepang, America, Argentina, here and now, are not going to happen. So therefore... Yeah, the, the latest I've heard is that that's wishful thinking. And you look at the, you know, the, the one of the lead stories in the BBC News app earlier was about the current state of coronavirus in Texas, specifically. It's very unlikely that we're going to end up doing those races. Uh, you rather fancy it's just a, a legal thing and hanging out to a yeah. certain point and then, oh dear, we have to make the press release. So there, so at the moment, we are going to have a Grand Prix at Jerez on the 19th of July and one immediately the week after. One's going to be called the Spanish Grand Prix and one's going to be called the Andalusian Grand Prix because that's the region in which it is. Then there's a weekend off. Then they all go to Brno. Then they go straight on to Spielberg in Austria for a double header. So there are five Grand Prix in six weekends. Then there's two weekends off. Then we go to Misano back to back, then back to back with Barcelona. Triple headers are murderously difficult. <laughs> then there's one weekend off. By now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are up to the beginning of October. 
Then we go to Le Mans, skipping all the way down to Aragon, back to back. So that's three in a row. Then there's a weekend off, and then there's two Valencias, and all of a sudden, it's November the 15th. What happened to the late summer and the autumn? It goes that <laughs> quickly. Hmm, that's a hell of a schedule. And as you mentioned, Simon, about Andrea De Vizioso trying to recover from a, a broken collarbone, you, 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 can't, you can't fall off a brick. No, there's literally no time. There's no time. There won't even be time for training in between these. Um, we know that generally the guys don't train uh, on the race of a week or in the, the week of a race, sorry, they'll do some, you know, they'll run the track, they'll do a bit of cycling, but they don't train the way they do over the summer break or over the winter break. So you know, let's hope everyone's fully fit at the minute and let's hope that no one else gets injured because trying to, even just trying to find the time to squeeze in physio is going to be next to impossible. It's going to be very busy indeed. Now, with regards to the paddock bubble, as I can call it, I think you know what I mean. <laughs> um, people are being tested. Hopefully everyone's going to be okay. Then they're going to go into the paddock, obviously stay in the paddock in their bubbles. But you're not allowed to go. That's quite that's quite a stance from Dorna. No journalists allowed to go. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. We um we we sort of came together. You know yourself. There's about twenty of us that do eighty percent of races. The old hands, the yeah. the people that are you know that are that are doing all the travelling. We all came together, which is unusual enough in itself. Um, you know, actually managing to get journalists to agree in something. We spoke to Dorna, and uh, we we came up with a quite a detailed plan. Of, of, you know, what we could potentially do to limit risk. Uh, we got a, a flat outright. No, we're not going to bother reading that. You're not going back. So as it stands right now, we've got no idea when we're actually going to be able to go to a race. Which, um, you know, I there is a certain amount of our job that we will be able to do remotely. Uh, you know, media scrums and video chats and things like that will allow a certain amount of stuff to carry on. But it means that you're going to lose the the fine detail. You're going to lose the little bits of information you pick up in the paddock. You're going to lose the the good sources, the good contact with people, um, the, the the really yeah the fine detail that um, that I think makes the work of the people who go to races stand out from the rest. I call it the bumping into them at the airport on Monday morning chat. <laughs> it's nothing that I could ever use on air. But it just yeah. made you aware of what was potentially going on or a nugget up your sleeve that you couldn't maybe use for 10 years because it that's was a bit it. sensitive. Yeah, um, it is it. a shame. It that's is a it. shame. Yeah. Um, hmm. Difficult, difficult. Um, you know, Dorna will supply pictures. Uh, we understand that the TV stations will be doing things remotely. I know yeah. I've done that in the past for flyway races. You can get through it for a couple of races but when it's four five six seven races on the trot you you feel distance and you feel apart and i i call it you know uh, press release journalism or press release commentaries <laughs> that's exactly what it is you know well i'm very happy that i qualified in sixth position and i really hope that i have a good race you know we've read all those things um, I uh, I saw a conversation between two Spanish journalist friends earlier, um, 
commenting on the Davizioso comments in the Ducati press release saying that his operation had gone really well and the surgeon had done a fine job. And, and one of them replied to say, I'm really looking forward to the day that we get a press release saying the operation was crap. They had to resort to using duct tape and wire to patch up my shoulder. My arms have fallen off. <laughs> you lose all of the nuance whenever you're reading it from a press release. When I was doing uh, the, uh, press releases for a rally team, we... Uh, in the British Championship, we were leading, we were doing well, we were having a good run, and we went to Ulster. And uh, we we did the shakedown, and we did the first stage, and we got about three miles in the, the first stage, and a rod through the block, you know, fire, everything. <laughs> and the team boss rang me up, and he says, what do you reckon we should do? I said, well, what happened? He said, well, there was fire. And I said, well, there's only one reason why there's fire underneath the bonnet. Only one reason. End of discussion. Apart from, well, it's two. Fuel line, or there's a rod through Fuel the block. Fuel line, yeah. And yeah. he went, hmm. He said, well, what are we going to say? I said, just tell people we blew the engine up. I will write, yeah. we blew the engine up. Do you have my blessing that we write? And he went, well, yeah. And he says, well, why do you say that, Toby? I said, because they'll find out anyway. So just tell <laughs> exactly. them. Exactly. Just tell them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, you know, the oldest joke in the paddock, the Honda electrical problem. Yeah. Yes, the bike had an electrical problem because it threw a rod through the battery. <laughs> exactly. Yes. 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 yes it, is a, it, is a, it is a fine line, but don't insult the intelligence uh, when uh, people, you know, Mamola leapt the pit wall at Saxon Ring one year and he picked up pieces of Nicky Hayden's Conrod. <laughs> I think he picked up part of a big end. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Honda were very keen to get that back. Yeah, I can imagine that. Although I'd imagine there's a few other manufacturers that also have been quite keen to get their hands on yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know the tricks <laughs> on how manufacturers get to other manufacturers' stuff as well. Uh, <laughs> but there we go. There we go. Part of a team. So yeah, it'll be it'll be not easy. Not easy for people. Um, no. Here we are now, uh, coming up to that July opening round for MotoGP. What will change? Will it change? There are some journalists going to the opening Formula One race. Yeah. Um, what Liberty do, what Donna do, two different things, not for discussion here. They're two, two different sports and two different uh, uh, franchise holders, commercial rights holders to a sport. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if they are relaxed and where we are for journalists to be able to get to the paddock, say, by the middle of September, round six, by the time we go to Mizano or something like that. So let's see. Let's see. Indeed. Indeed. The hope is among the, the paddock journalists that because our rounds four and five are at Austria and Red Bull will have been, or uh, sorry, Formula One will have been there a month earlier and allowed journalists in, that maybe by the time we get to there, there'll be some sort of an easing of of some of the restrictions anyway, but we'll see how it plays out. Terrible shame that there's no British Grand Prix at Silverstone. Uh, no British Grand Prix this year for the first time since the uh, the, the inception of the uh, Motorcycle Grand Prix World Championship. So that's a big shame. That's a big shame through nobody's doing. I rather hope that in the history books there's a little asterisk and it just says, well, we have had a race every year in normal circumstances. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's you know it's like saying there was no British Grand Prix or they were, like they were saying there was no Isle of Man TT nineteen thirty nine to forty five. Exactly. No one holds it against no. them. 
things were going on yeah, elsewhere. We were busy elsewhere. So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or, or foot and mouth or, or, or fuel crisis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, so we shall, we shall see. Um, we have to sort of reset our brains. We did our opening podcast, Simon, uh, with Neil <laughs> and... You know, all the talk was about Mark Marquez and his shoulder. We've forgotten about that. Mark Marquez is obviously still a favourite. Is anything going to change? Is all the focus going to be on something else? Will somebody have got something up their sleeve? Is it going to be the person who adapts quickest on those on that on that Friday morning, Friday afternoon that actually wins come Sunday. Is the is the person with yes. the most experience going to be the strongest person in 2020? Question. Who knows? <laughs> actually, just to flip that, my my gut feeling at the minute is that the rider that's going to impress this year, really impress this year, is Fabio Quadraro, who of course goes into the season as one of the least experienced. But whenever you look at the circuits he performed really well at last year, and the circuits that are on the calendar this year, there's quite a bit of correlation. He's got a year of experience under his belt. He is getting better at dealing with both dealing with pressure and applying pressure. And I'm quite looking forward to seeing what he can do. You know, he should have been second at Hareth last year in, in his fourth MotoGP race until a 50p part and the bike snapped and he was left crying in the garage. But we're going back to Hareth for two races this year. You know, he went to Austria with no one expecting a satellite Yamaha to be capable of getting in the podium, and he finished third. And we've got two races there. But how good is the hand-me-down Yamaha chassis this year from the work chassis at the end of last year? Uh, That's the thing, I because think... remember Assen last year, they got, so the works team took Quattararo's chassis. You'd, Yes. Is what I'm trying to say is is that year old chassis the best one to have? We've seen it with Tosland front row first race, Lorenzo mm -hmm. pole position first race, and Quattararo last year. Yes. My gut feeling is that the so he's going to be starting the season in the 2020 Yamaha as part of his 2021 contract, and my gut feeling is that the new bike is better. They have done their homework. They have made big improvements. They've done what they really really needed to do. Uh, the fact that Fabio has signed a factory deal, having tried the 2020 bike, and that Maverick Vinales has extended his factory deal, having tried the 2020 bike, given especially how critical Maverick was this time last year of the bike, is, I think, quite telling that the improvements there have happened. Yes, they've seen inside the Pandora's box. And it's very big, quite. very big and very shiny. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. <laughs> Oakley, Dokley. Well, um, we need to speak before this season gets underway because it's still uh, a way to go. Uh, hopefully it won't be about somebody falling off a motocross bike and injuring their collarbone. But uh, I, I, for one, I, for one, was proper teed up for the start of the season. I know that we had Motor 3 and Motor 2, but we all know why. We, that was just under the door of the C19 virus. Uh, preventing the Mudder GP bikes from actually racing earlier in the year. So, uh, oh yeah, can't wait to see it. Can't wait to see it. It'll be very interesting. Indeed. Simon Patterson, thank you so much. Keep in touch with Simon's writing on the-race.com. He is uh, man on the ground, or man with his ear on the ground, should I say. Whether or not he's actually at the races <laughs> is another discussion, but uh, I think that will change as the season goes on, Simon. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Do like and subscribe our Race Mother GP podcasts from wherever you get your podcasts from. We look forward to catching up with you very soon. In the meantime, from myself, Toby Moody and Simon Patterson, it's goodbye. Goodbye.